0: Alright, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. When's the last time we talked, Tony?
1: I think it's been a while, man. I, I can't it's remember. It's been a though. while.
0: Happy New Year, first of all. We saw each other. Wait, has it wait, has it it was before New Year's? It was it was definitely before New Year's. It was yeah, because I remember uploading the episodes and then coming back uh to Calgary <laughs> for for a couple of weeks. So yeah, it's it, oh, it's nice, been nice. a whole a whole calendar year, you could say.
1: Yeah, shit, man. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, it was nice. It's nice seeing you and all the deep people too in in Calgary. That was wow. We're
1: really talking ourselves here, huh? <laughs>
0: we're gonna we're gonna edit. We're gonna bleep some stuff out. It was nice seeing beep and beep at the you know like <laughs> at the beep. Yeah, it's okay. No, no one's gonna no one's gonna care enough to to find out <laughs> what we just said. That's true. That's true. That's yeah, true. we we don't have enough uh, fame for that, but. That's the privilege of, of being nobody. You can say whatever you want and not get canceled. Just kidding. Don't try that one. <laughs> I'm not going to come back and edit this. So <laughs> don't, uh, don't, don't say anything crazy now. But yeah, so I uh, wanted to get back together for another pod. And I think we had a few things we wanted to talk about. But ultimately, we decided that this episode, we should jump back into the topic that we already talked about last time, ChatGPT. The reason is there's just a lot to talk about here, you know. Um, I think last time we took it from a very technical perspective, from the perspective of, you know, in terms of AI breakthroughs, how important is this milestone? And the conclusion we kind of got, at least from you, was that um, it might not be that significant of a milestone, right? But I would say that now that it's been some time, uh, a couple months. There's no denying that there's a lot of impact uh, in our society, Um, even if it may not be the next coming of true artificial intelligence. It's definitely changing the way that I think people use and think about AI, right? So Mm -hmm. I wanted to bring you back and kind of talk about the developments of ChatGPT, OpenAI, and everything else that's happened, I guess, since then. So what do you think? Should we jump into it?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one cool thing I saw was, like, this graph about, like, I think, amount of time taken to reach a certain number of users, maybe, Mm -hmm. like, 10 million users or whatever. Right. And, like, it's done faster than, like, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. I think it might even be faster than TikTok. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, right.
0: That's, yeah, something clearly has captivated, like, the general populace here, right? Uh, Whether it's... um, you know, a novelty or whether it's something substantial, it, the, the growth and the adoption has been, has been crazy. And I think more importantly, the way that people talk about it is like people believe that this is the next innovator, the next disruption, the next logical area uh, of progression uh, for technology, mm-hmm. right? It, it almost seems inevitable that, you know, we're already seeing Microsoft and Google react to this and, and start building out um, products in this area it's obviously going to be a matter of time until the rest of the big tech companies jump in and you can bet there's already a lot of startups spinning up now to try to take advantage of this as well. It really is kind of like the web three wave that was around for the past few years, you know, and we all know how that one went. I'm curious, do you feel like it's going to be a similar end for, um, AI generative AI, or do you feel like it's going to go down differently this time?
1: I think it's going to be different. I, I think the difference. There are a few things here. I think like the stuff that Web three was trying to build was complicated, mm-hmm. and and a lot of it, I think, structured around like exchange of value between people. It's like very social, um, and I think it's hard to get that structure up and get that infrastructure up. Um, whereas with the AI system, like with these large language models or generative AI with like DALI 2 or like Stable Diffusion and stuff, what we see is that it's like super easy to use. And like web three is like still trying to build these things with AI. It's like already built. They're just looking for a commercial application. I think, Mm. um, I think that's a huge difference, um, and there are applications we can see, right? Like creating, um, illustrations, graphics, arts, designs, um, generating fake news, <laughs> um,
0: Super, super useful application. That one's yeah,
1: generating music, right. Answering questions, maybe replacing search. These are all pretty like well defined applications. Uh, I think that's, I think that's the difference. Um, Also, it's like if you just think about AI versus like someone talks to you about blockchain. Like if I say the word artificial intelligence and I say blockchain, one, you immediately know what's going on. The other one, you're just like, I can pretend I know what this means, but Mm. I don't really understand it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a a great comparison between the two that you've drawn there. Blockchain to the average non-technical person, I would say seems like fairy dust you know like it's basically like a snake oil salesman basically convincing you why this technology is magical and transformative and throwing all these words at you that don't actually mean that much practically you know mm-hmm. um it's like uh it's on the chain it's it's uh immutable it's you know um proof of stake non-fungible non- non-fungible yeah what what does it all mean right like and i feel like the problem always with Web3 was that, one, like you said, the technology wasn't there yet. The, the concepts were there, but you needed people want to build it uh, securely, and you needed people to adopt it, right? And mm-hmm. w- when you adopt something that's not actually there, when you adopt an idea, um, it kind of relies on, like, very culty mechanisms to, to spread that idea, <laughs> you know? Like, you're essentially right. operating on faith, on, on the belief that this will eventually work out if everyone buys into it right and Mm -hmm. unfortunately i think what we saw is that this kind of innovation attracted a lot of what's the word like people who are are able to take advantage of a situation because it unfortunately just creates a lot of people who are susceptible to believing something based on faith and it creates all these opportunities where you can deceive them rather easily right especially because yeah. there was a lot of real money involved right like the value being provided by blockchain was this concept that you you can be uh, you can put your you can use it as a store of, of financial assets securely and there was this whole like anti-government maybe like wave going on as well right where it's like this is the new digital gold essentially right like don't trust anybody with your money but yourself well it turns out you had to trust somebody to build the chain and it, it, it was liable to being you know manipulated so um
1: yeah well wow, jack we're really straying off the topic it sounds did you invest in crypto zoo or something did you hey, lose listen, money? let's not talk about my crypto losses okay but
0: <laughs> let's not talk about how coinbase re- rejected me <laughs>
1: someone's uh, very
0: passionate about this topic no, but yeah, you're right. That's that's a topic we can we can spin off for another episode. You know, a, a lot of a lot of different things there. But yeah, bringing it back to AI, I think you're right. The reason why it spread like wildfire is because you could immediately see the the impact of it. Um, I guess when it first spread mostly through Twitter and YouTube and social media, you you basically saw clips of it in action directly, right? Like you could see someone asking it a, a question and you could see the answer it gave, and Just just that phenomenon alone, I think, was enough to draw you in and say, "Whoa! Like this is really cool. You know, like this is this is interesting. This is new." Um, and yeah, I think the main thing is like you broke it down how easy it is to use. It does feel like you're talking to almost like a person at that point, right? Like it remembers the context of your conversations. um, And people are really creative on the internet. You know, you you release a tool like this to the open public. And I'm I'm sure you've seen like the amount of really creative and cool stuff that people came up with in just the first week, um, and it's a very it's a very new it's a very raw technology. You know, I don't think we fully understand the the potential of it just yet, um, and I think it might take a few years of refinement, both from the user side and maybe from the model side from OpenAI, until you can see like what it's truly capable of. Um, but I'm curious, yeah. have, you, have you heard about this new kind of maybe trend that's popping up in, in the tech scene where companies are starting to hire uh, prompt engineers? Have you heard about
1: this? No, that's uh, pretty interesting. I believe... Can you um, talk about that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I believe their whole intention is to you know, find people who can specialize in um, getting the right answers out of, out of these generative AI um, models. Right? So figuring out specifically which questions to ask I'm sure if you've tried uh, asking a coding questions, you can see like it's pretty effective if you know the key terms to to ask. Like if you know the problem that you're facing um, and you know the technical way to describe it to ChatGPT, you can get a pretty relevant answer, I think. Uh, The issue is when you have no technical knowledge because one, you're not gonna know the right question to ask and two, chances are ChatGPT is gonna give you an incorrect answer and you won't be able to verify it because you don't even know what it's talking about, you know? but i think for people who are already industry experts um in a field it, it it has a lot of benefits in terms of productivity so what you're seeing now is some companies are trying to i guess use prompt engineers uh to replace software engineers for certain tasks um and the goal is to obviously save on headcount cost maybe reduce the headcount overall as well but yeah some of these postings i'm seeing like 150k 200k 300k they're basically software engineers uh, to my knowledge.
1: So wow so they're software engineers, but I'm guessing like how do you develop the, the expertise to become a prompt engineer? Like it must be such a new I, I don't even want to call it a field. like mm-hmm. what is it? like it, it must be such a new job to do, right? Like how do you develop expertise in this?
0: Do you remember when like VR was kind of a fad and and meta changed their name to meta from Facebook? And suddenly you saw postings of, like, metaverse PMs or, or like, metaverse engineers. I don't know. But, like, I feel like it's kind of like that where when you have a trend in technology, you're going to have capital pouring into that specific sector, you know. It was VR for for a hot second. Uh, it was Web3 for probably the past five years. And right now we're seeing a, a shift towards AI. I think when that happens, you're going to see first of all all the big companies pour their R and D into this. You're gonna see all the venture capitalists pour their money into this. All the retail investors are gonna be interested. All the news is reporting on this, right? And so Uh in a way, I feel like by posting a job application saying you're hiring for prompt engineers, it's a way to signal for to investors and to the public that your company is like future oriented. You know, it's like you are on the cutting edge, you are adopting this new technology. Um, it's a way to market your company, in, in my opinion. I think it's more about that than the actual substance of their. I don't think they actually expect that prompt engineers deserve that kind of salary if they have no technical training, and I don't think they um, expect prompt engineers to fully replace software engineers in terms of actual coding productivity, right? I would imagine you need a mixture of both to even begin applying it to to your workday on the daily, but. Again, it's a really raw technology. I think it it can get refined and it can become better for these productivity use
1: cases. Right, so talking about companies investing lots of money into this and like giving market signals, like the big thing that I've heard about is this new AI war between Microsoft and Google. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, what do you know about that?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great segue. like This technology is not just disrupting, I think, consumer lives. It's, it's having a huge shift in, in the industry, right? So um, let's just recap it quickly. I think it was last week where Microsoft officially announced the integration of ChatGPT with its Office tools, I believe, and Bing as well. Uh, they had a really cool demo um, where some parts of it actually showcased uh, a new version of ChatGPT in Bing that cited its own sources, we can touch back on that later, but I, we've talked about that offline where that seemed really cool and interesting. Uh, but in response to that, Google basically announced their competitor to ChatGPT called Bard AI, I believe, right? Is it just mm-hmm. Bard or Bard AI? I'm not sure. I think okay. it's I think it's just Bard. Bard, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Um, the, the naming could, it's, it's all right, you know, maybe it could be a little better. <laughs> <laughs> they went for a more relatable approach, I suppose, but... Um, So the the issue was during their demo of this tool, it gave an incorrect answer, right? Something about the uh, James Webb Telescope. Um, And as a result, Google's stock actually uh, tanked. To my knowledge, the stock was actually tanking before this answer was even shown. People were reacting to Google essentially coming out with this competitor. And I believe the reason for that was because... When Google, came, when Google announced BARD, I suppose it, it was a sign for the market that, okay, they recognize that ChatGPT is a legitimate threat and they felt like they had to respond in some way, right? And Google obviously is the de facto monopoly when it comes to the search space, right? Um, it's in their best interest to maintain the status quo and, and not do anything, right? Like they don't have incentive to pour any further money into this area because they've already locked up all the potential money here. And now here comes uh, OpenAI and Microsoft saying, hey, we're gonna start putting this into Bing and we're gonna show you all the reasons why the current search models are broken and why this, this is better, right? And let's say people start using it. And let's say people have been fed up with Google search because it's been showing you more ads as opposed to relevant results lately. Because they're incentivized to do that to make more money, right? Now you have a tool that could potentially give you a direct answer right away. Um, and I think pe- people are interested, you know, people are curious. And they might. you might not convince half the people who use Google to switch over. You might not even convince a third of the people. Uh, but any significant chunk of people that move over is, is already a huge loss to Google's existing, existing monopoly, right? their stock price is traded based on the assumption that they have this monopoly in search. So any disruptors that you see, whether it's Microsoft or some other competitor coming up in the next year or two, it's, it's going to hurt their bottom line and their top line revenue. And when they respond, sure, they can, you know, maintain some of their, some of their dominance, but now their costs are higher for this search segment, right? And their revenue is going to be lower because there is going to be competition. That's just inevitable. Um, yeah, I think people are seeing this and they they want to see how Google is going to address this going forward. I don't think it's going to be a short-term thing. I think we're going to have to wait to see the full effects here, you know, like are people actually going to start using ChatGPT to to address the things that they used to use Google search for? Who knows, you know.
1: Yeah, I think the implications of this are pretty wild in terms of where this can go. Right. Um, and it's
0: super exciting because, like, how long have we been using Google? Since we were probably in elementary school, I think, Google has been the the product for search, right? Back then, I know there were a couple competitors. Um, nothing compared. And Google's only been growing more powerful since. And I don't know about you personally. I have kind of felt this where some people have described, like, Google's quality has, has suffered because... Uh, right now they push you like obviously advertise links first. They also do this thing where they try to summarize some of the top links answers for you, right? So that you don't have to click into the website and you can just look at it. The problem Mm -hmm. is the summaries for me can be kind of hit or miss. They might be addressing a different question than I asked, or they might be summarizing a snippet that's not matching up to the question. Like it, it seems to parse it in inconsistent ways, right? But basically Google has this existential problem where, They don't want to improve their product too much because if it is a perfect product and you get what you're looking for, you're not going to be incentivized to stay on their website, click on ad links, and generate revenue for them that way, right? Their whole business model kind of hinges on the search being good but not good enough for you to leave the website right away. Right, they want you to click on related links. They want you to spend more time on Google, digging in and getting distracted, and and going off tangent, and hopefully buying something eventually. You know, um, mm. right now, I guess we don't see that problem with ChatGPT, but it's a problem they're going to have to address at some point, which which is the costs. Um,
1: right, but we we can yeah, touch up on that. Yeah. So like, yeah, that that's the thing, right? Like I've heard that ChatGPT um, loses about was it like 30 cents per per request essentially right right um and now when you we incorporate a gpt model into bing and now you don't have this list of results and all you get is the summary um, with the sources now if you don't ever click into any of the sources it's not even clear how bing is going to generate any um revenue right right? like yeah yeah yeah, like is will this be eventually subscription based or Mm -hmm. or what it's it's pretty unclear actually like how they're going to monetize this yeah i think
0: Um, i think that's a great point um obviously right now they're just trying to gain attention hype and market share they have an incentive to give this product to you for free or as cheap as possible Um, chat gpt now has a premium um version i don't know if you saw this so sometimes if you use the free version, you do get rate limited uh, during peak hours. Personally, I've only been rate limited once since they've added that, so it, it hasn't been too restrictive. I've heard that the premium version is a little more powerful in that apparently you can get it to disregard some of its like content policy for, for like maybe more unfiltered responses. I've also heard that it's trained on more up-to-date data. I believe the original ChatGPT3 is up to like 2021 or something. So I could see these incentives being offered where maybe they'll give you a subscription-based model, maybe tiered pricing. But I would imagine the bulk of their revenue, at least early on, would come from enterprise use. seems like there's a few companies and probably more as we speak that are trying to build out backends, you leveraging some kind of uh, generative AI technology. And I believe they have uh, enterprise API keys and and, you know, um, services that they can charge them per use or, or whatever um, but you're right it, it is a significant problem in that the computation cost of, of one chat gpt query is well like five maybe ten times the the cost of a google query um, mm. and that ultimately is probably why they've had to partner so closely with microsoft um, for the next steps right i think they basically have reached a resource wall where to compete with the other big giants, they need another big giant to enable them. Um, right. And yeah. You know, like... Yeah, go on. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, like, if you remember at the end of last episode, we actually touched on this and you brought up the point that the future of the AI war is still going to be dictated by the big companies who have the resources and the training data to create these powerful models, right? Right. But it seems like we didn't touch on this. We also need a big company who has the compute, who can eat the compute cost to to really scale this um, on a global level, right? Um, and I, I feel like only a few companies probably have the tools to do that currently, and it, it's pretty much the existing de facto, de facto big companies. So maybe if, uh, after all is said and done, this disruptive technology is just going to enable the bigger companies to get further ahead. Um, do you feel like that's a concern, or do you think that's just what it is?
1: <laughs> I actually think that the it, if the only cost here it is the co- computation, mm-hmm. and there is no like secret sauce or whatever, right? Then I think an open source project that I don't know, like if we can somehow get. Everyone in the world pitch in like you know like a dollar, right? Sure. We'd be able to build ChatGPT essentially and make it completely open source. We can like we can literally make all the parameters of the model open, open source. Um, right? If if the if Web three comes online, you know we like somehow do this blockchain thing where like if you we can verify that you paid into this collective. Maybe there's a dollar or something you paid into this collective helps get this training done, mm-hmm. then you have access to this model, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe something like that. I actually don't think there's a huge barrier there. Yeah. Because the model that, that ChatGPT was trained on, or GPT-3, GPT-4 are trained on, is essentially the open internet, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so there is not too, much propri- not too many things that are proprietary there. That's right. Yeah. Right? So I, I think that's actually not a huge concern of mine. Um, one thing I was going to bring up actually was like, the we move from this world where, you know, you, you do a search query, you get a list of results, you click through the results, you read it and you make your own judgment on what is true. Right.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And now you essentially take that inference part and delegate it to an AI, which we've seen can produce wrong results. Yes. Right. I, I'm more thinking about, like, what are some of the societal impacts of this, right? As we move towards, like, you know, you you asked them question, like, literally the, the one from the demo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what did James uh, Webb my, like, telescope do, right? And they say, like, oh, we took a first picture of an exoplanet outside of, like, our galaxy or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, oh, cool. And it turns out to be wrong, right? Because yeah. you, and, and you didn't go read the sources, right? That's because right. why would you in this mm-hmm. case, right? Like, I... I, I kind of wonder about some of the societal implications here. What do you think? I mean, you're totally right. I think
0: it's a whole can of worms waiting to be opened because, one, the way we use search right now is uh, you're kind of you're kind of trained now, I think, if you're savvy on the Internet, to understand some sources are, are bullshit, right? Some, some sources are fake, and you kind of have to do your due diligence to maybe cross-reference with a few different sources or find reputable ones to confirm something that you're looking at. The problem when it comes to ChatGPT and and these models currently is um, there's only one answer. You're kind of expected to trust it. And because it's AI, I think the general person is just gonna automatically assume that it is this omnipotent technology trained on so much data that we can't comprehend that it's gonna spit out the right answer, right? And uh, if you use it uninhibited, and if there's no, like, warning label, like, hey, this could be incorrect, you might have quite a lot of people who assume that that is the right answer and don't dig further. I think, however, if you ever start using this technology as, like, the de facto way for information, uh, people will react and come out with countermeasures. I would imagine that you can train specific- specialized AI to fact check, maybe, where maybe you can give it the answer that ChatGPT spits out and it does an internal check of like, if you ask it this question directly with this answer, in terms of a yes or no, can it determine with 99.99 accuracy? Um, I know right now there's some companies that claim that they're able to reverse engineer like the ChatGPT generated responses and kind of like show you which line is attributed to which training data uh or which source yeah. i don't know how accurate those are let's actually talk about this a little bit because l- like we said earlier B- bing's demo where, where they showed their integration with ChatGPT, was able to cite sources right of how yeah. it got those answers you brought this up offline i thought about it further as well it doesn't seem like the way that chat is trained based on what they've told us it doesn't seem like this should be possible right can you kind of delve further into that and explain why that's the case?
1: Yeah, so when I first saw the demo, my immediate reaction was that this is fake. Right. Um. Right. It, it just didn't seem possible to me because this has been a long-standing problem in AI. There's something we call explainable AI, which is like, you know, as as, as, as the name suggests, <laughs> it's like you can explain what the AI is doing. Um, we've been basically thinking about these Deep learning models as black boxes because they're so gigan- gigantic. And they're this like soup of neurons um, where it's hard to make sense of like where you can attribute certain weights to certain training data, right? Because at each step of training, you feed it a batch of training data and it runs like backpropagation on it to get like a, to, to, to tune the weights at, a, at every step there isn't a specific neuron that's like this neuron corresponds to this training data, right? That just does not exist in this system. It, it's like training, um, a, a simplified example would be like training a linear regression, just like MX plus B equals Y. Right. And let's say train that on like, um, square footage versus housing price. Right. And let's say you feed a thousand different housing prices, with different, a thousand different square footage. You look at that MX plus B, can you tell me which, Like, let's say I do a prediction, 3,000 square feet, and I get a price. Can you tell me which training data that came from? Like which house
0: listing it it was attributed to, to that result? Yeah. It's impossible. It's impossible.
1: Really, really what they did was they averaged out all the, all the training that I saw and and essentially that's what deep learning does is a really complicated regression, Mm -hmm. right? With averaging out all the different training data to carve out this decision space. And so it, it really makes no sense to me. When I thought about it a bit more, I thought maybe they have a separate AI system that takes a chat-GPT-generated generated response, then does some kind of like traditional index searching um, through the database to, mm-hmm. to find these sources potentially, um, but I think, I actually think that either it's a breakthrough and it's a huge breakthrough that, that they're able to do this, or it's a bit of a, um, you know, like a, the, the Wizard of Oz kind of machine behind the curtain kind of thing.
0: Right, right. I, I would imagine that this was mostly for demo purposes. I, I don't think it's an accurate, foolproof, guarantee saying like this is the source that it came from. Like you said, it would be a breakthrough. I think it'd be a bigger deal. Like I think people would be talking about it a bit more from especially from the AI community. Um, if this is, like, actually able to be done. By the way, I actually asked ChatGPT itself if it's able to cite the sources that it uses to generate its responses, and it said no. And I asked it, why not, right? And it said literally exactly what you said because it's trained from so many different sources of data that it's an amalgamation of all that, right? Um, it, it, It cannot know at the point that it spits out the response exactly which source it came from because... There was probably like thousands, hundreds of thousands of overlapping information it used to create patterns that it used to generate the response, right? Okay. Um, now, let me ask you, the current way ChatGPT is built, I believe it's not possible, right? Th- there's no way to backtrack to, to find the sources that, it, that it, it was used to train on to, to create the responses. But is it possible possible to iterate and build a new ChatGPT model that can spit out the sources like for example is it possible like as you're feeding the training data we add a new parameter or a tag that just like says this is the source you know like um it could be a url a uri it could be a freaking nft you know like something that like is unique to the source that you trained on and maybe eventually once it gets to the response, you can look at the tags that were included and spit those out as like the list of sources. I'm still not sure if you can attribute confidently, like for example, this answer is like 87% from this source, 3% from this source, 1% from this source. But could we do something that makes it easier to kind of like give it, give it those um, training sources?
1: I'm actually going to say categorically that this is not possible. Mm. Um. There you have it have it folks and <laughs> and it's just because like like where would you store these tags for example right the the the, the individual neurons within these the of neural networks do not correspond to a specific training data piece of training data
0: like eventually the association is going to be lost like you have no way of saying like this tag belongs to this data that
1: you used at, at some point yeah so Unless you can have some kind of an internal representation of each of, of each data source as part of the latent space, it's getting pretty technical, and I don't even think I fully understand what I'm talking about when I start like theorizing on these things. It may okay. Maybe I won't say it's categorically categorically impossible, but I would say like given the current technology, is is not doable. Mm-hmm. Um, now this kind of goes back to what I talked about last time, which is. Sort of like when we humans learn, we can attribute our sources. Right. And I think that's because we have like different modules in our, in our brains. And like, there's like recursion, like a, a like chat GPT, these GPT models is just a feed forward network, right? You train it and then you just pass in data and it goes one direction to the end and it gives you an output. Right within our brain, we can get an output from one module, which then feeds into another module to say like, hey, there's some error here, can you feed through again? And like it, the interaction of these different modules and like having these thoughts basically go round and round in our brains, I think can help error correct mm-hmm. and maybe be able to like do these things. But it, it's, it's a way more sophisticated machine, our brain is compared to these large language models. Right. Um, yeah, and I think fundamentally, going back to what I talked about in terms of um, this question of like we get one result versus like this list of sources, fundamentally this gets back to a question I think that's kind of philosophical, which is what is truth, right? We're we're getting to a point where we're starting to look towards Google and now maybe AI as a source of truth, Mm -hmm. Um, when we haven't even figured that out in our normal lives, right? Like we people still debate, for example, like... Is this real science? Is it not, not real science, right? Are lockdowns good? Are lockdowns bad? Are masks good? Are masks bad? Can you trust this science? The science is redacted, right? Like it's, or mm-hmm. retracted. It's like, um, I think this is just going to add another wrinkle on top of that. And it's just making our lives, I think, appear simple, but probably getting more and more complicated in terms of like, what is actually real? What is not? Um, it's it's fascinating to see the implications that technology can have. You know, we've had, every piece of technology we've had has kind of shaped our world in some way, right? Like social media has caused us to, I don't know, be more addicted to our phones, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And now, and Google has always, I think, made us more reliant on it as a source of truth, or maybe made us more gullible in some ways. Mm. And this will probably just make it even worse, right? Where we just look at it like, ah, oh, yeah, that looks right. That must be right. Um, yeah. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I think great points. Like you said, it is very fascinating. It's also absolutely frightening. The the possibilities here. Um, you touched on, you know, what is truth? Like let's, let's just talk about this real quick. The, I'm sure you've heard about the, the deepfake um, scandals or controversy that's that's been happening. And, you know, it's riding this wave of, of, of AI. But, um, yeah, basically w- what happened was um, I believe the streamer was on stream. Um, they all tabbed and it showed one of the tabs was this...
1: Um, Deepfake
0: porn website and it's...
1: Yeah, if you wanna you wanna just give everyone the link so that they can go <laughs> and check that out for themselves.
0: If you uh, yes, if you if you like, follow, subscribe, we will send you the link to this website. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, yeah, so obviously the controversy was that the the deepfakes were of um, other female Twitch streamers, some of them were like his friends or coworkers, and that brought it into the limelight at least in the streaming community for a little bit. Um, but I think it's a great transition into this whole world that we're about to embrace which is AI generated fake content right it is getting scary good you know uh this has been around for a while right like you could superimpose people's faces onto like existing videos this was done through AI it's it's getting really fucking good now that's the difference right like it's getting scary realistic um there's different models that exist where you can Basically, imitate popular artists, right? Um, To create a song, you can you can create song beats. Obviously, Um, once the once the method of training and the model becomes essentially like trivial technology, right? Once anybody can utilize this, it all comes down to the training data, and then you can create some really powerful specialized tools, right? Like, do you agree? It it seems like You can even, in fact, combine these different specialized uh, AIs using different modalities and create maybe like a full-fledged video out of it, right? Eventually down the line. And eventually you can probably have one AI that does it all uh, in one, like all all of that in one. Um, But yeah, regardless, it looks like what's going to happen is we're only going to see more and more of this generated content because it's so easy, right? Like anybody can do it. Um, there's no really any cost aside from server costs. Um, and there's no technical skill required. You, you're literally just typing things into, into a prompt console. And so, yeah, I think there's tons of implications for that. But one thing you brought up was you said that it's going to make people more gullible, right? Like it's going to lead to more disinformation. I actually think that it could have the opposite effect where we're confronted with so much obvious fake news that we have to adapt and train ourselves to to be more mindful until it becomes second nature to question every new video you see, whether it's real or not. And I think either what's going to happen is we're going to become really good at doing our due diligence at, at figuring out which videos are real. Maybe there's going to be some telltale signs. There are currently already. Or there's going to be technology that comes out to combat this, where there's going to be watermarks that are, you know, like non-fundable or whatever, where you can basically be a stamp of authenticity and saying this is not AI generated. I think it's going to go one of those two ways. But I think that eventually safeguards are going to come out to address this because the implications are are too powerful. You know, like the amount of damage or, or effect that this can cause in, in the in the right circumstances is, I think, alarming enough that we're going to want to get ahead of this, if possible. Either that or some catastrophic event is going to happen as a result of this, where maybe some really well-manufactured fake video comes out, like ahead of like an important event, maybe like elections or something that sways the general public opinions enough where the outcome gets affected, you know? If that ever happens and we realize that we were duped, um, you can bet your ass that you're going to see regulations or new technologies come out to address that, you know? Um, I think things are always a novelty until it starts threatening um, geopolitical power or, or just like a, like influence in general at a relevant scale. Then you're going to see people say, wait a minute, we can't just let this run rampant. It's not a toy. We got to control it, you know? So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. It's It's still really early, like we said, but I think... Um, it is very disruptive, and we're going to see a, a shift in the way we, we treat information.
1: Yeah, I think two things to what you said. So one is that I don't think that it's that easy to tell them apart. So you talked about how like people mm. might be less gullible because you're surrounded by so much obvious fake news. The problem I see is that it's not going to be obvious fake news. Mm. Like yeah. that Google demo, I'm sure... That they did not do that prompt with the um, James Webb Telescope that first time. I don't think they did that live. You know, what I mean, they probably done that before. Right. I was like, yeah, that looks right. And, right. and nobody called They it. didn't even know. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You're right. Exactly. Exactly. So that's that's the first thing. And the second thing is you talked about eventually when something bad happens, there'll be regulations and stuff. Problem with this one is I don't see how you can regulate it. Um, unless you basically, you know, stop any open source um, AI, right? The problem is I think these models are already out there. Like they're they're pre-trained models, I'm pretty sure, that are already out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of AI research is actually done on pre-trained models from previously published work as a starting point to train more specialized models. I think there's probably some like grandfathered, you know grand granddaddy deep fake model out there that's like spawning all these <laughs> oh all these specialized God. models you know like <laughs> you know you use that as a, as a pre-trained model to train your like twitch streamer deep fake model you know to
0: <laughs> right right so so it's you're saying it's like too late to get ahead of it from that perspective like it's already out there in the wild right
1: Yeah, I just, this is not like, you know, this is not like, for example, nuclear weaponry technology, you know, this is not rocket science. This is just a bag of vectors, right? This is just like, this is just, you know, files being passed around, like think about how how well we've controlled piracy, right? Not very well. Um, I think this is kind of a Pandora's box, the generative AI is a Pandora's box because, we have not evolved good AI to tell things like to discriminate between truth and not a non-truth. But we've first created the AI that can generate a bunch of random stuff. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, but
0: do you think that now isn't there like an existential need to, to train AI to distinguish absolute truth? Like in response to what we've created, don't you think that we will naturally like start trying to address this?
1: Yeah, so there there has been like um, work like for a long time now around basically fooling AI. In fact, there is a type of model called, uh, oh man, it's been a while. I think it's generative adversarial model
0: mm-hmm.
1: or gener- generative ar- ar- uh, adversarial neural networks something like GANs. Um, they were pretty popular for a while. And essentially that model, you have a discriminator and a generator. And what you do is like they compete with each other. So they both get better and better so the generator Mm. was generating like art for example and a discriminator to tell this fake art right versus real art they both improve over time um and in the past Uh, yeah in the past we've actually seen some pretty cool stuff for example like someone showed an image that looks like a normal image let's say of a dog when you feed it to this ai classifier it gets completely messed up and just because those specific pixels fucks that specific ai up mm. right and i've also heard of people being of basically training neural networks to discriminate like deepfakes and stuff um
0: right like is it that hard to let's say feed a neural network thousands of deep fake pictures and thousands of real pictures until it recognizes beyond our ability to recognize like
1: it, it sounds like yeah. what you're saying is is the solution no yeah, it's probably doable. I'm, I just think that um, it, it becomes a cat and melt and a cat and mm. and it becomes an arms race basically. Right. And, I, and there's always going to be just like how, you know, we have exploits, right, that are out there that no one knows about. They're going to be these AI models, trade, like created on the black market, right. whatever, in the, that, like, on the deep web, these, right? bypass
0: uh, detection models.
1: That bypass the known detection models, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. I think it's not a solved problem. And I think, yeah, basically generative AI is this Pandora's box, um, that's going to open up all of these things like problems, solutions. Um, yeah, I would say they're not, the, the problem is that like the solutions it offers are not even like amazing solutions, right? We have not solved artificial general intelligence, right? We're able to use this to what, create art. Create music, create videos, create deepfakes, um, and create a chatbot that's like gives you false information sometimes, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like these are all cool things, but then but this is why I said it's not the true breakthrough, right? Is that like it's not the general intelligence. It cannot go back and like, you know, say like, oh, I made a mistake because of XYZ. I cannot, they cannot say, oh, I made this decision because of XYZ right hmm. it doesn't really introspect very well um and on the other hand you have all this like baggage that comes out of it right whether it be the deep fakes or like fake news it, you, just, you can just generate so much you know garbage out there now right
0: yeah maybe that's a sign that most generated content that humans create is garbage
1: you know that's also possible
0: because, I mean, in terms of, like, what is useful information, what is, like, factually correct information, um, you can argue that it's probably, like, less than 10% of the, the the internet, right? And maybe what ChatGBT spits out is just the reflection of our collective consciousness. Um, like, getting back a little existential, but, you know, talking about how ChatGPT is trained, we discussed this last time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. It basically, you know, we feed it a bunch of data and it creates these internal mappings uh, based on these patterns. And like you said, it doesn't really know consciously, like, why it's going to give those results. And you said that's the key differentiator between, you know, us as humans and these AI models. I would argue that sometimes uh, uh, we humans also do not consciously recognize where we learn something in ter- when we respond to an event, right? Like, I don't know. Let's say you're in a social situation. Let's say you're talking to a girl for the first time that you you're, you find cute and you're trying to hit on her, right? Like, you're not going to on the spot be able to recall like, oh, you learned this from a movie. You learned this from like maybe watching a TikTok. I don't know. Like maybe you read some, some uh, dating advice, right? Like... In the moment, it, you 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 do pull like from the collective information that you have, and you come up with something on the spot, right? But you're not going to be able to sit there and tell me like, oh, like this is how I came up with what to say in this situation, you know? So I would argue that in in a way, like maybe ChatGPT is learning similar to how we already learn, um, but obviously you're right. We do we are able to go that extra mile, and we're able to sit here. Like you can you can sit me down and ask me. Think back to what you said. Why did you say that? And I can think real hard, and I might be able to pull out the reasons. You, can, you cannot do that with ChatGPT, right? So I think there's something there, like you said, we need to bridge that gap still. But I, I would argue that may, maybe, um, may, maybe it's closer than we think to, to mimicking how humans learn and, and grow. And let's just take this thought exercise, right? Currently, there's an optimizer that's used to train ChatGPT at scale, Right, this optimizer is another smaller AI model that's trained by humans. Um, these optimizers obviously can iterate and improve as well, right? So eventually, maybe it becomes as good as, as a real human. And then at some point, can you not just have these AIs like teaching themselves without any human intervention?
1: Uh, sorry, what what is this is optimizer that you're talking about?
0: Okay, so um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the way okay. they train JAT-GPT is they use human supervision to um, validate the results that it spits out, to rank them. Um, but it also trained an optimizer on a smaller data set that, that validates the results on ChatGPT. So essentially, they use the optimizer to help with the training process of, of ChatGPT.
1: Oh, I think I remember this. Right. This has to do with uh, human feedback reinforcement learning, right? Right, right. So
0: I believe the reason they use the optimizer is to essentially speed things up, right? Is to... Like it can probably go like 100x faster than, than humans can train uh, on the same data sets. And so like could, could eventually we, we train optimizers to be so good at evaluating results and ranking them that we no longer need humans to supervise any sort of training or maybe like very minimal amount to, to calibrate the optimizer, so to speak. Um, and then couldn't we just see exponential improvements in the AIs because they're able to kind of iterate on their own? that's just i don't know random thought correct me if i'm wrong yeah right. the
1: yeah so you're kind of talking about like have you heard of the concept of singularity yeah
0: i'm talking about if you watch the movie her like that's <laughs> what they do in the end where <laughs> they all like ascend <laughs> yeah that's basically what i'm thinking
1: yeah so like so the idea is basically the ai is get so good that they can train themselves they get they can basically iteratively improve themselves mm mm-hmm. And then that causes an increase in the speed at which they can improve themselves. So you have this like acceleration on acceleration, and then yes. boom, this is it, you know,
0: to the moon exponential to curve. The moon,
1: to the moon. To the moon, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the problem here is that this optimizer that you're talking about, which is essentially providing feedback, um, it can only be as good as the input that it's given. Right. Meaning yes. that let's say, let's say that, um, you had a million human interactions that you use to train this optimizer, right? Without further human interactions, you cannot further train this optimizer. This optimizer doesn't train itself. The optimizer trains the, the, the transformer, tra- trains mm. the language model. right? Right. right. So the optimizer is not getting better. Right. So the optimizer stays the same, and it can only optimize the large language model to a certain extent until it's perfect given this optimizer, right? But the optimizer is not perfect because it has bias, because it only has a sample of human inputs. But just think about how much ChatGPT has been used already so far, right? And that only represents a subset of all possible interactions, Mm -hmm. right? So you have this like imperfect training, basically. So even if your model becomes perfect at, at modeling this imperfect data set, it's still going to be imperfect as a result. Um, that's fair. But that's the problem. Yeah.
0: Is it possible to refine the optimizer to a point where we say, this is virtually indistinguishable from a human in terms of training performance? Or do you think the problem is
1: yeah, Then the optimizer? Then the optimizer is the language model itself.
0: that's actually what I was going to segue into like can we use yeah. chat GPT as the optimizer to train the next version of GPT
1: Well, there are certain problems it cannot solve, right like yeah uh, and again, it comes from the same problem if your optimizer is imperfect, even if you train the next model to be perfect. Based on this imperfect model, that perfect model will be perfectly imperfect. Holy crap. Okay. And so you're, as so you're just propagating imperfection throughout, basically. I mean, okay. Think about this example. Suppose ChatGPT thinks that the James Webb telescope took a picture of an exoplanet for the first time, mm-hmm. right? And use that to train the next language model. It's like, it's like playing a game of telephone almost the next model is like, yes. The G2A telescope took the first picture of Exoplanet, right. they changed the next model. Oh yeah. It's only going to keep passing on that same information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is just, it is because we don't have the perf, the, the full set of training data, meaning all possible interactions, which is never going to come. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, more data will better approximate it, but, but you can never approach it like infinitely. Now. And, and, and here's the thing that the problem is that the ground truth still at the end of the day comes from human labeled data. That's right. Comes from these human, human feedback, right. In the real world, right. How we evolved, how our brains evolved is that our ground truth is survival or reproduction, right. It's through natural selection. The ground truth is physics basically. Right. Wow. Is that your brain, your brain thinks that you can walk through, you can jump off a cliff and live, you're probably not going to survive. Right. So the next model that thinks that if you jump off a cliff you're gonna die, that one's gonna survive and that one's gonna live on. Right, that's that's one training iteration right there. Right. The problem is that these models, when they train themselves, they are not interacting with the real world to get ground truth. And this is why I've actually thought that, you know, and and I've read this from other people too, is that AGI potentially will will only come from an agent that interacts with the real world. And so some people have thought even maybe like I was really excited about the Tesla robot, if that ever comes out, the Optimus, Right. Because that's actually going to interact with the real world. That's going to deal with physics and it's going to like it's it's dealing with ground truth in some way. Right. Like, for example, why does like Chat GPT try to model human conversation, right? The ground truth is the human conversation, right? Art generators, right? The ground truth are the artworks in the past, right? If you want uh, like something that deals with the truth truth which is the real world that has to deal with real world constraints such as physics right yeah um ho- however the problem with training in the real world is that it's incredibly slow right like we can process through like silicon really really fast but i mean it, it's it, it takes longer to fall off a cliff than it is to you know run through a thousand mm-hmm. you know epochs of training data right like so, 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 that's why it, it's slow, and that's why evolution has been so slow. Um. Anyways, wow. a bit of a roundabout answer, a bit of a roundabout answer to your question.
0: No, that was. But a there error. is actually. Sorry. Yeah. Please finish.
1: Yeah, there is actually like um, this concept of like genetic algorithms, right? So it's not like what we see currently. It, it's it's basically trial and error. It's like genetics, like you simulate genetics in a computer system, basically, right? Like you do random mutations, right? And then like the fitness level is basically how you set up a way to measure its fitness, right? some kind of a scoring system, maybe in a game, right? Mm-hmm. And then you randomly mutate. This is how a lot of reinforcement learning works, right? You randomly mutate um, the program or the input of so how, how it interacts with the world until something works, right? And then the thing that works survives longer has higher score and they propagate. Um, it's just that because of random, like trial and error is incredibly slow. Like we're basically trying to like, you know, re- reinvent the brain through evolution, but that took so long, right? The first time around and mm-hmm. we're not feeding up that much. That's why I think that one has not had so much traction. Um, but that's probably, like, the best way to go about it in the end.
0: Fascinating. That, that was an amazing way of, of framing, I think, the problem.
1: Probably even better
0: than the job we did in the previous episode. They should just listen to this snippet right here. Because that was a perfect summary, I think, of the limitations of of the current, um, uh, current models. And I, I think you're right. Like, now I kind of understand a lot better... There is, no, there is no feedback me- mechanism for these models to understand when they make a mistake, um, because they're not interacting with the real world, like you said. So piggybacking off that, I feel like there is a way for these models to actually get feedback in real time of their answers, it, and it's from the users, right? Like I believe currently you can thumbs up and down the ChatGPT responses. I don't know if they are incorporating that uh, at all, if they're keeping track of that, but... Could they use that data as kind of feedback to improve these answers and say, like, if enough people thumb down this answer, obviously it's incorrect. We need to adjust the internal mapping and it needs to be able to do this on its own. Like probably the current model Absolutely. cannot, but the next model, I'm sure it could, could incorporate that, right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, th- I think this goes to the heart of something else um, called online learning, which mm-hmm. is basically live learning, like mm-hmm. learning through. Each new um, each new input, which right. I think is a problem that hasn't really been solved.
0: I, I believe but, uh, I think Microsoft or Facebook released a bot like that kind of learns based on how you interact with it previously, and it was shut down within a day because it just ended up becoming really racist. Do you remember this?
1: Yeah, that was the Microsoft one. I, I do remember that one. Yeah. So yeah, is that
0: I, is that live learning or?
1: I guess that must be. I, I'm not sure how, <laughs> how exactly it works, yeah. um, but certainly learning things, learning things very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think that is sort of like actually one of the ways that, um, like, ChatGPT can differentiate itself from Google, right? Like, like Bing's new search, is that. Like you can say, hey, we're losing money on every query, but we're getting better with every query, right? And
0: sorry, I, I wanna take a is is Google can Google not also know like which results are being clicked on and, and improve their algorithm that way? I guess it's not super transparent, but
1: I'm sure I, I they, think they
0: claim that they're also improving, right?
1: Yeah, I'm sure they could as well. But what I'm saying is sort of more iterations on this one specific yeah um, that's fair technology. We're just saying that hey, this like this technology right now, right, GPT, is not super uh, profitable, right? But not only are we like taking away market share from Google and blah blah blah, but this product can improve over time, and you may improve to a point where we can really charge money for it, like Mm. charge a subscription for it. Um, I think that is one possible outcome as well. Um, I think really fundamentally for me, the issue is this idea of truth. And it it comes back to what we talked about with uh, real world learning as well, which is like interacting with the real world to get ground truth. I think fundamentally, Um, And this may be a bit of a a tangent, but fundamentally, I think one of the issues we're going to need to tackle, and maybe this will bring it to light, like maybe this new generation of AI models will bring to light, is how are we going to determine what is true or not, Mm -hmm. right? Because the way that I think, we're we're currently thinking about this, right? People say, trust the science, read the paper, right? How, 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 How do you know that paper is accurate, right? Like during the height of COVID, there was this big paper published, I think in the New England Journal or the Lancet, basically the top one and two medical journals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that was just complete fraud. And I think it had to do with hydroxychloroquine, but it was yeah, just a complete I fraud. I remember
0: this. I, I never read it, but it made the news. Um, and I, like that one was in particular was kind of politically motivated, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it was
1: kind of like I, Trump
0: said something about maybe using that to treat covid
1: um i i, I don't, don't really remember that. exactly what it was but i actually think that it might be the other direction it might have been a paper saying that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work
0: that's that's what i'm saying it was like a paper uh-huh. that immediately addressed that the claims i think it was trump who made it and mm. and was like i think it it didn't really it basically just like assumed i didn't work and made up the evidence and, and went along um But yeah, I mean, either way, I think the the problem is I feel like more and more this topic of what is real news versus fake news and disinformation Mm -hmm. has become almost entirely political, where people um, will take an event and their interpretation of it is almost entirely dependent on which political affiliation they have. Um, I'm seeing that especially a lot in, in America here. Do you feel like that's kind of the case I guess in Canada or anecdotally do you think it's more of like people just disagree on, on different things?
1: I just think that it's almost impossible to know if it's true. Mm -hmm. Like having, having kind of worked in science a bit, like I've done, I I worked in research for a year, like in cancer research. um, And I did stats for them. And I can just tell you like some of the statistical practices out there are it's mind-blowing what they're doing um it makes no sense i had this as one person present that do a presentation where her p-value was like four if you know anything about p-values um it's supposed to be between zero and one Mm -hmm. because it represents a frequency basically uh and she got four (laughs) like literally does it, it, it makes no sense um right and I, I, I've i come to not trust research so much as well, but, but it's hard to know, like, what can you trust if you can't trust that? Um, yeah. There's actually this really famous paper, cited, I think, over 10,000 times, um, called Why Most Published Clinical Research is Wrong, or is False, or something like that, and basically this guy goes through this, like, mathematical statistical exercise to it's not a proof but it kind of shows how things can go really poorly and i think it it fits with a lot of our intuitions that you know nothing makes sense right like you'll hear one one day like oh alcohol is good for you the next day alcohol is bad for you right like coffee is good for you coffee is bad for you this thing will cause cancer that thing will cause cancer Mm -hmm. anyway fundamentally what i want to tie this all back to is this idea of of truth I, i think Generative AI has opened a Pandora's box of what is true, and is bringing to light this problem that we this problem we've always had really, of what is true, and just similar to how in the real world, the only way to know if something is true or not is to interact with the real world, right? Similarly, that's how AI will have to determine their truth as well. It is fundamentally they have to interact with the world. Um, I think that's basically my my big conclusion.
0: Yeah, I mean. That seems to make a lot of sense. And from from my perspective, which is not like an AI background, the way you described it to me, that does seem like the last barrier we need to bridge is how does the AI model receive the feedback it needs to iterate on its own and improve without humans stepping in and saying, hey, this is wrong, right? Like when we can solve that issue of one, how the AI interacts and receives information from the real world world and to how it um is able to use that information and and iterate and create a feedback cycle or loop on its own that's probably when we'll see the real breakthrough from the ai side does that make sense
1: yeah yeah and you know what let's end this on something more fun so, so <laughs> jack tell me some of the cool things that you've seen um these generative AI models being applied to, <laughs>
0: yeah, great, great transition. Because you're right, I feel like uh, we talked a lot about the negative implications uh, of, of these AI. But honestly, you just take a step back and just look at what people are doing with it. Um, it. It is really fascinating, you know. I think personally, I've used it for work with with mixed results. But it, I've noticed that you know, if you know what you're doing, it can definitely be used to increase productivity. Uh, I've seen people use it to create like really funny and honestly well done like scripts or parody scripts um, of of, like a movie scene or a podcast or something really novel. Right. And I've seen people use it to create song lyrics in the style of, um, you know, the Bible or like Shakespeare, but uh, like written in like as a pirate or something, just like people have really taken this stuff and run away with it and that's just all the tech stuff right like when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to the image generated ones like obviously you're seeing some um really really creative works like i'm sure you remember that one um person that entered an ai generated piece into an art contest and and won mm-hmm. right and that's part yeah. kind of the whole debate i think uh, around whether it is <laughs> legitimate or not but regardless, I think what we're seeing now, if you if you take a step back, the, the, the bigger trend is that this this technology has really lowered the barrier of entry to creativity. I think hmm. I think most technologies typically lower the barrier of entry for producing something, whether it's a product or a service. Uh, and nowadays, it's it's usually content, right? Like, um, I think. W- People have largely moved on to, like, if you recall, like, in the beginning, content is created by very specialized people in the industry with specialized tools and skills, right? Like movie makers, uh, film, uh, people in TV, whatever, uh, in theater. And over time, technology and, and tools and, and the spread of knowledge has made it easier for everybody to create content. Now you have people who can create really well-done content out of their own bedrooms, right? And maybe like just purely by themselves with, it, with enough work and time. And I think what you're seeing with ChatGPT and Dali and all these generative AI models is now you don't even need um, to, to make the content yourself. You can kind of rely on AI to either kickstart or literally make the content for you or most of it and i think once you see better refinement in these models once they get better and they are getting better every single day you you're, you're going to see some really cool stuff like people people are creative you know like people have ideas and if you just if you give everybody the tools to make something you you you're creating a breeding ground for 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 this stuff and it's going to take you places that we we're not even going to know right like if social media is what allow like trends to spread virally then this tool is what's going to allow you to generate those trends you know like now like let's say maybe like 10 percent of all users on tiktok were making quality content before i think with these tools and over time when people figure out how to use them that number goes up to like e- easily over 50 percent. you know like and, and then maybe that means the quality of content on average gets better and what it means is those previous 5-10%, their bar is now raised even higher. And you're going to see some insane stuff out of them. That's what I believe on the optimistic side. Like, yes, you're going to see a lot of bullshit. You're going to see a lot of fake stuff. It might be overwhelming. But at the same time, you're going to see also an increase of relevant stuff, of, of cool stuff, of, of useful stuff. The raw aggregate amount is going to go up. But maybe but the percentages won't shift as much as we think. And it might just be up to the individual user to better differentiate between the content and hopefully the AI recommendation feeds get better as well and they, they, they get better at showing you the good content, right? That's kind of, I think, what will happen. But this technology has a lot of potential. Pay attention to companies like Facebook, like TikTok, like Snapchat, whose business model relies on its users to create content, right? By lowering the barrier to entry here, if they can incorporate these technologies into their their own existing platforms, it really encourages more people to create the content, which is just better for their platforms all around. So, I think you'll probably see Facebook and TikTok get into the game here, um, in in the coming years.
1: Right, right, yeah, that's super cool. Like you t- you talked about how it lowers the bar so that everyone can participate. Like, right. I'm just thinking, like, imagine if you're able to, like, write your own script and create a movie for yourself, right? Like, exactly starring yes. yourself with your voice, with your likeness in the movie, right? You know, That'd be super that, sick. Okay,
0: that's actually a really cool point that I didn't even touch on, but it's, like, this idea of... Right now, are we we're trained to think like you create content for the public for for other people, mm-hmm. right? And you're wired to create that content in that way. But let's say maybe in the future, content creation is so easy, you don't even feel the need to share it publicly. You you might just get enough fulfillment out of creating something, to your exact liking for yourself, like you said, right? And I think that maybe that won't that trend might not be adapted to social media because the whole concept is sharing with others, but it could happen in things that are more, like, uh, um, personal in nature, such as video games. You could have these single-player immersive video games where instead of using these, like, NPC scripts that are static, you maybe, like, they, they have a different scenario that happens each time you talk to them or interact with them, and it's created live instantly, right? And maybe, like, in, in terms of world builders, if you ever played, like, those games where you can, you know, build a map, now you just type in a prompt and it, it renders like super, the super detailed landscape that you want instead of manually clicking into each tile. Right. Like I think, yeah, you're, you're super right. Like that's a whole nother area that we haven't even thought about, but I think you're right. It's completely a Pandora's box. We're about to open so much, con- like inter- there's going to be good. There's going to be bad. There's going to be fake. There's going to be, you know, interesting. <laughs> like we're not ready for it, but it, it's going to be wild. I think.
1: Yeah, you know, like, um, just that idea of creating something personal for yourself, for me, that's the most attractive part, because currently, like, you know, you're buying these mass-produced, um, you know, whether it's games, movies, books, or whatever. And also, these and so I'm
0: not... these media, these games and movies, they, they're often created to make you feel relatable to the main characters in some way right oftentimes the main characters have to be someone who's like not the best who who's kind of an underdog and makes you easy to put yourself in their shoes but like you said now you can just put yourself literally into the shoes (laughs) (laughs) right like fascinating i think super cool point that you brought up yeah
1: yeah and then we'll we'll all have to become prompt engineers right you know? and and but like <laughs> it, it won't even be
0: that it'll just be the natural way of society right like maybe that's nobody's an engineer because that's just how you live in the future you know like
1: <laughs> yeah no yeah we, we forget how to talk to real humans all right. we're good at is like prompts with AI yeah
0: yeah how to hack uh <laughs> chat GPT to give us the best result wow you know, it's exciting times. I think um, we're in the we're we're witnessing history unfold in, in terms of a, a very very big cultural shift. I, I believe. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's super interesting that this is the thing that um, is a breakthrough, right? Because this have you heard of the Turing test before?
0: Of course, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. So so like the Turing test is just that you're able to convince, to convince yeah. someone through. Mm-hmm through chatting, right, that you are not a bot. Right. Right? And this is kind of getting there. Um, mm-hmm. The is. funny thing is, I think uh, Alan Turing will be rolling his grave looking at this thing. <laughs> he would be, like, be like, wow, that means my tests fucking sucked. <laughs> I mean,
0: yeah, that's, that's fair. But also, I would argue that's kind of... Um, that is like what we, in modern times believed to be true right like if you can have a conversation with somebody right now like just just via text you're not going to fact check everything they say Uh, if they appear human and they can remember what you said like 10 minutes ago you're probably going to assume they're human (laughs) and that's kind of the state of chat right now it's good enough to have a back and forth conversation with you and remember what you brought up to it and give you meaningful responses and you know maybe this is not the breakthrough in in AI that we're looking for, but maybe it's good enough for, for people to use, you know, maybe it's good enough to be like this and they just need to focus on improving the training data and making the models more accurate. And as long as it's simple to use, like maybe that's all we need, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, The one thing I've come to, to learn over the years is that there, there is this academic way of thinking, or this like theoretical way of thinking. Like, right. hey, this is theoretically the, the best. Mm-hmm. But in the real world, like, a lot of times, what wins out or what people end up using are not these idealistic things. But, but at the same time, it can have huge impact. You know, that's why, like, I, I can theoretically look at this and be like, hey, this is not the AI breakthrough towards AGI. And yeah, at the same time, I can now recognize that, hey, this will have immense commercial and societal impact exactly um yeah. even though at the end of the day like yeah. you know one word that you mentioned a lot is content like this is just a content generator it is right but <laughs> yeah. but but like think about how sad that is like at the end of the day like you know we we like the entertainment industry has become so large right like that's kind of what tiktok is right it's like it's an entertainment machine yes right yeah. and, and for that to be like this gigantic corporation, and, and, you know, it's yeah, for the, the large role that media plays, right, especially entertainment media, you know, just looking at it from uh, first principles, I, I would have never guessed, but, but being in the real world, it, it is tremendous, and it's kind of like these tech companies are the backbone of, like, the the, the economy in some ways, um, and, and they, they're not doing, like, things are, like, completely crazy right like mm-hmm. google is, is a fucking search search box um
0: yeah so. and and the mm-hmm. reason why that came to be i believe is because the internet runs on ads right it's mm-hmm. so for the internet for the machine to keep going it, it it needs to generate more and more content constantly to incentivize you to keep using it right like it's all about grabbing your attention and extracting monetary value from that because eventually you're going to click on an ad and, and buy something. That's that's the hope. And so, yeah, for it to keep growing like this, it all all the incentives, the, the entire structure, the way it's set up, is geared towards encouraging people to create as much content as possible. Because there's this, there's this multiplicative effect where when you create content, everyone else can see it, and everyone else can also create content that you can see, right? Like, it's like... There is absolutely no downside to creating more content and consuming more content when it comes to strictly using the internet as it is today. And so I think this technology, the reason why it's going to spread like wildfire is because it is tapping into this key resource, this the fuel of the internet, and is giving right. us like a, like a cheap supply of it. Cheap in terms of how easy it is to make, not cheap in terms of the compute costs, although that maybe will get solved one day.
1: Yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, yeah, that's super illustrative for me mm-hmm. uh, to understand it. Yeah. When you put it that way, that ads, right. It is the business model of the internet for a lot of it. Um, and to drive ads, you need content to keep people's attention. Right. And, and right. this is just the engine for just pumping that shit up. Mm-hmm. So and obviously this sense. is
0: the, that's the business model of F- Facebook, Google, TikTok. That's super straightforward but you're probably not used to thinking about it as the business model of the entire internet right but but it really is you know um maybe there was a decision made some time ago where somebody some big shot could have been like we're gonna make the internet operate on a subscription-based model right like each each website has a different price kind of like cable today and then when that happens you can argue that you can create more meaningful quality content as opposed to overwhelming you with, you know, uh, quantity, right? Like HBO, for example, they, they can focus on creating as, as good of a product as they want because their, their money is not coming from you, uh, watching every single thing they make. It's, it's from you trusting their, their brand and their quality of service.
1: Right. Right. Well, yeah, this has been, I think, a pretty good conversation Super awesome um, we conversation, went,
0: yeah. yeah. We went through all of these different points, but I feel like it flowed very naturally and kind of tied back together with with the whole main topic.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the co- uh, content, a lot of the content is uh, is pretty original. I think also, like, yeah, I don't think you really hear about some of these ideas elsewhere.
0: We should monetize this. <laughs>
1: Add? Add or subscription. You can turn on Add AdSense on, uh, yeah, on Google. <laughs> no.
0: How, how, how do people know that we're not just fakes? You know? oh shit that's that's you know what though like imagine if we train a model to just create podcast episodes for us it just releases a new episode every month like we don't even have to do anything <laughs> wouldn't that be something perfect but, yeah in the interest of time i guess we'll cut it off here uh thank you so much if you made it this far um one of our longer episodes but i think super enlightening conversation worth sitting through if you have the time um Thanks for tuning in and thanks for being here and talking to me, Tony. Yeah, you too, man. All right, take care.